for once. Can't we eat at a place with a tablecloth? It's okay with me, but those frills cost money. Don't you think it's about time we got a new muffler? Just remember, those frills, frills cost, cost money. Okay, so All the Marbles is a film by Robert Aldrich, who's a very famous American director. Uh, very famous to me for, well, it's probably still, and this is a bit nasty, for his very first film, Kiss Me Deadly, which is a fantastic movie. Also, The Dirty Dozen, although I don't rate that as highly now as I once did. But when, I mean, it was, it was a major movie by him, big hit. Uh, Flight of the Phoenix is a Robert Aldrich movie, which I still love. He specialised in sort of hard-hitting action films. I'm trying to think what else. Am I... Oh, and yet Jane. also he did Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and... Um... Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Exactly, yeah. which is a strange sort of departure. And again, those are movies which I, I rate. So he has... A... Oh, and Emperor of the North Pole, I like a lot. Olzana's Raid is also an interesting film. So Now, when uh... I gave you this one, you seemed really cautious over yes. it because you felt that his career went off the boil toward the end well what i was getting at was that i mean the, the received critical wisdom with which i agree is that in his later career his movies became very kind of coarse and vulgar and very brutal and uh, i would say mean machine hustle the choir boys would be examples of that for, and so i thought and since this is his last film i thought this would represent the ultimate example of that tendency. But it doesn't. I mean, it's it's a really good movie to end on because it's a really good movie. Yeah. I, I really like this film. And again, this is one we discovered during our film sessions, just purely... How? Explain how, just, how did well, you stumble poster. on it? Um, we were looking for films... Uh, usually you go by actor. Um, I can't think what the Peter Falk film was that we were watching. We may have even been watching Columbo's yeah. and enjoying those, and we were looking for films. And this one came up. Uh, under the title The California Dolls, which is how it was marketed around the rest of the I'm world. I'm glad you mentioned that, because that was something that we sort of need to say quite rapidly, is that if you're looking for this movie, you may be better off searching for a movie called The California Dolls. It's a bugger to get hold of. I think All the Marbles is the only release, and that's in the US, and even that's uh, And again, this is one of these... In case people don't know what on-demand release is, the big movie studios came to realise that... I mean, they've got all these movies in their vaults, this huge back catalogue, and... They're basically into releasing blockbusters and don't really, but they do sort of care about their heritage because they've discovered there's this little niche market for people who want the obscure films. So, what they do there is that you can buy them legitimately, they're not bootlegs, but they're sort of manufactured on demand. Yeah. And I love that, I think it's great that they do that because it's brought back so many movies that I thought I would never get to see, like uh, Anthony Mann's The Tall Target would be an example. So, I Number love one with a bullet. <laughs> Uh, we haven't done that one. We haven't yet, no. But but I love the fact that they do this, and what what we're saying is that this is an example of that. What is, was the studio, do you remember? Uh, it would be Warner Brothers. Yeah, so it's a Warner Brothers uh, on-demand release, and it's it's a really good film. Um, what appealed to you about it? 
I couldn't believe that he managed Robert Aldridge managed to find two female leads who could look both and this sounds like a weird thing to say. I've, I don't have any interest in wrestling whatsoever. Never oh, okay. Have done, never so before we go be. any further, this movie is about <laughs> female wrestling. Yes. And Peter Falk is the manager of a pair of female wrestlers who are called the California Dolls. Now, take so now, you, you claim you have no interest got, in, you're pretending you have, have no interest. Yeah, when in you do a film wrestling. like this, you either, usually what you'll either get is two really good wrestlers or two really good actresses. You're very unlikely to get all in one. Well, if I may be so shallow as to add a third corner to that triangle, you also have the consideration about whether they're going to be really good looking or not, which when you're making a movie, a Hollywood movie, that's going to be a consideration. Yes, but that, yeah, that's personal opinion. It depends, it varies all over the place and there are women wrestlers all over the place that I'm sure have their followings. I don't think that, these two are your conventional um, 19... 80, early 80s, conventional attractive. That is true. Uh, they yeah, look it, phenomenal. It just adds to the praise in that they, 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 are, they can act, they can wrestle, and they're very attractive on screen, which it couldn't have been easy to achieve. They, they are both Vicky, very... Vicky, Vicky Frederick, Frederick as Iris and Laureen mm. Landon as Molly. Yeah. And weirdly, I mean, neither of them have done much. I mean, they've done a fair few films, but they haven't really hit the big time since which I think is unfortunate because they're brilliant in this I'm, I'm just seeing if I can spot anything in, in their filmographies that, oh um, so that that, that excited oh it was because Fred, Vicky Frederick is in All That Jazz which is a great Bob Fosse movie Who oh she, she was playing that uh, alright Girl 5 <laughs> it is something like that no right. it is Minaj partner number one Oh, so, okay, that's why I've never spoken. I was going to say, yeah, I don't think that's a big role. <laughs> she's, she's also in Chapman. I would have remembered that. Oh, she was in this TV series, Dream On, which I remember, yeah. She was in Murder, She Wrote, which everybody knew. Oh, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, 1989 film. Which actually I've never seen. Well, um, that now you surprise me. Yeah, it was a video that used to sit on the shelf, and I used to think, yeah, I'll get that one, but oh, I never did. But here's a curious coincidence. She was in Laverne and Shirley in Happy Days as well. Well, it's about that time. 81 is... Yeah, I mean, everyone was back then. Oh, and Laureen Landon was in Air... Oh, Air, I was going to say Airplane, disappointingly. No, it was Airplane 2 that she was in. Just quickly seeing. Oh. I believe that she's the woman who has just the wobbly tits and the jelly. I think that is the extent of her role in that one. Unless I haven't I'm seen, mistaking her for someone I else. I haven't seen Airplane 2. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's in... You haven't seen Airplane Everything 2's got a great really? Shatner performance. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that often. No, uh, she was in Maniac Cop 2. <laughs> <laughs> Always the bridesmaid. <laughs> yeah. But what we're saying is that both of these women deserve, on the basis of the California Dolls, oh, sorry, all the marvels, they deserve more of a career. And what's interesting is this was meant to be the first of two films. What? Yeah. This, I, in fact, really? I think a trilogy. Yeah, you're making this up. No, not at all. The plan was that the next film would be their, their glory days and then the last film would be... Their decline? Yeah. Uh, but Aldrich died and with the, him dying, the project died because he was the only one that really believed in it. So it never happened. They were contracted for two films. So that that this is you're not just making this up. That I'm was not. for real. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, Christ knows what the second film would be called. You can't call it All the well, Marvels Two. Do you think he was just like really obsessed with lady wrestlers, or I think he just had happened to find because uh, a, a, he co-wrote the script, didn't he? It wasn't, no, no, just him on his own. No, he, he has nothing. He has no script credit. No, exactly. So I think he just found a very good script. And the script's by Mel Froman, who then went on to write, do a lot of stuff, a lot of teamy 
TV movies. He didn't do any more theatrical movies, but he, it's a very solid career in TV movies, some of them quite high profile. So he obviously did very well for the next 20 years or so writing in television. It's a very economical script. It's a good script. For, uh, what is it, an hour and 40 minutes, the film? Uh, there's very little dialogue because obviously a lot of the film is taken up with action and well, the last 25 minutes is a quite fight. a lot of dialogue which I want to get to and, and it's shot in a, in a particular way but I wanted to give you one of my favourite lines near the beginning after a fight oh, it should be said that actually well I was going to say that in wrestling it's more like a choreographed rehearsed kind of thing than a real fight but that that line is very much blurred in this because yes they, they say both because at the very beginning there's a line about you were meant to lose or you were yep. meant to win and then later on I mean for the rest of the film it seems to be that wrestling is real and there is no rehearsal because yeah. half of these people they meet for the first time at the time especially and, that and, big last fight and it's never a foregone conclusion who's going to win no but in the real world of wrestling yeah. if I may put it like, like that it is sort of a rehearsed performance isn't I, it? I mean I genuinely have absolutely no interest in most sports anyway but wrestling uh, least just, of all I just don't get it I well, don't understand yeah. the appeal of something I think it's like little old ladies who want to see these giant Thor-like guys beating up but they're not even really beating up on each other it's more like a form of modern dance <laughs> actually I mean that is where you can almost see the appeal of it because people will go and watch a dance show yeah and they'll go and watch drama and they'll go and watch melodrama and it mixes all three into one performance. So it's still a performance that people go to pay tickets to see. And it's a performance they like the style of. I get that, but it's, I just don't get it myself. Just as a little side note, um, I was reading something about, about rest, professional wrestlers in the real world, not, mm. in, not in this movie. And male wrestlers really all like to have long hair. And the reason for that is that means the people in the audience can't see when... You, you you can lean over and whisper in somebody's ear like oh I got a bad back today mate so watch out for the back so it's, it's very it's very good for uh, concealing dialogue and uh, perhaps that also goes for female wrestlers I noticed one of the things consistent things in this is is like they're wailing the shit out of each other but they're saying don't touch my hair yes. like, touching the hair is like a major crime in in women's wrestling apparently based on this film I think that goes for any street brawl as well there are some things you just don't do. <laughs> There's an accepted code. No, no, but as I was saying, I Robert Aldrich had been seemed seemed to me to be on a really a downward spiral uh, of coarsening and brutalizing and vulgarity. So I, when I heard there was a female wrestling movie, I really expected the worst. But it's not. It's a really good because what it is is it's not about wrestling for one thing. Well, it's a strange little slice of life, and it's it certainly doesn't glamorize it. So they are they are on the sort of lowest echelon of the, the female wrestling circuit. Uh, and so they're driving around in this junker car that's sort of breaking down. And they're, they, they're driving around America's industrial underbelly. And one of the things is, beauty is the wrong word for the photography, but it, it does beautifully capture this sort of blue collar reality. What Aldrich does, which is quite nice, is that you, the majority of the dialogue is voiceover. So thank you for was, the road trips. Yes. Yeah, it is a road trip film. That was my major note. My my major note was what you see this car driving through these landscapes. Uh, you know, with um factories in the background belching out smoke through, through the, the sort of grim rust belt of America, and they have long conversations in the car, but they're they're dubbed over the images of the car driving in the distance, and that's a consistent stylistic decision that they make here and it's it's un it works but it's kind of unusual and uh, refreshing and also 
I thought quite daring in a way. I have a feeling, and it's unusual for any film to have this, but I have a feeling they probably had a rehearsal period for this. The dialogue flows very well. And it feels it just it feels in places a little over rehearsed, and I don't doubt they obviously do have rehearsal for fights. Not contrived, no. Uh, it just with Falk, it everything sounds under rehearsed. I mean, that's just the way he performs. I like Peter Falk do, a lot. Would you mean everything sounds natural? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, yes. Um, well, naturally uh, hesitant, if that makes sense. He puts uh, earth into lines which you don't get that some films have the worst possible dialogue where people will have these long-winded arguments and they'll be word perfect on every word of every sentence and it doesn't sound like it's dialogue that's tripping off the top of their head and i have a real problem with unrealistic dialogue this film has really good dialogue but it feels like it's a little too polished when it's the three of them working together and it's only when they're together so i've got a feeling it's probably just the three of them that had a rehearsal period I slightly disappeared down a rabbit hole because i, I clicked the bit on imdb where it gives you the, the full credits and it turns out that, although I said Mel Froman was the only credited writer, he was the only credited writer, but there's four other four, count him <laughs> otherwise, none of them Robert Aldrich, who uh, did contribute to it. They're all TV writers, mostly comedy writers. Michael Barry, Lee Chapman, Richard Eustace, and Jim Mulholland. And that number of writers, the fact that they're all comedy writers, suggests that this was approached like a comedy, where you just get people in to, get, to write gags. Which is It has good lines. I mean, there, there are some funny lines in there. I like the one right at the very beginning where she says, um, was it, for once, can we eat at some place with a tablecloth? Which I quite liked. <laughs> well, I, right near the beginning, they just have their first fight, and the doctor says to, to, says to one of the fighters, stay off your back, and Peter Falk says, there goes your social life, Iris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand the appeal of Burt Young. Oh, now, I'm glad you mentioned Burt Young, because... Uh, I recognised the name, but I didn't remember who he was. Rocky. Uh, yes, but in my mind, he is forever the first client in Chinatown. Right, okay, The movie yeah. Chinatown, which is where I remember him from. Uh, when, you, when you say you don't see the appeal of him, he's supposed to be an unappealing character. In this this he, is what really... Fr he does it so well. Yeah. And But the thing is, I've never seen him play a likeable character in anything. And just once, it would help, because I just find him... He just gets my back. I have the same problem with... Uh, oh, what's the name of the one that plays Black Widow in the Marvel films? Uh, you mean the Scarlet, gorgeous Scarlet, Scarlet Johansson? Yeah, I find her My true love. irritating in everything I watch <laughs> because she's sour-faced and miserable in every she's, film she's in. Uh, Andrew has to add that she's a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing less than a goddess. My friend, we Ghost World changed everything for me. I mean, uh, I'm but Thora Birch like all the way. In, you like her in Ghost World? No, I don't. Okay. It's Thora Birch I like, and she's a bitch oh. to Thora Birch. Oh, that's uh, why you don't like her? Yeah. You hated it. That was sort of the urtext of your I tell you, my of... grudges don't subside. Oh, I think Scarlett <laughs> Ever since 92? Is, is <laughs> luminous and wonderful, but, but we shouldn't be talking about it. We should be talking about Burt Young. I don't know how we got to that. The antithesis of Scarlett Johansson is, is <laughs> Burt Young, physically and, and in performance. No, but we, you hate him, but you're supposed to hate him in this, because he's a low-level kind of mobster type guy who he's he at the beginning he screws them out of twenty dollars and, oh. and um peter falk takes out a baseball bat and beats the shit out of his car but the thing i mean this is a bit gruesome but in the course of the film did you notice that burt young like had a growth on his face and then it gets like in a later scene he's got this big dent in his face he's obviously had an operation you've seen this movie so many times you never I noticed have, but that. i assume somebody slapped him didn't they uh 
we shouldn't really be going into this, but because poor Burt Young probably just had something on his face in the course of the movie it was operated on. Oh, okay, fair enough. There is a scene in the movie where I do comes, remember the, the gouge in the face. He comes I, to the I door and one there's, of them a, slapped there's him. sort of a hole in his face. Okay. No, no slap could create a hole like that. Is that yeah. after she shagged him? Yeah, I think so. But I don't Maybe it was a, a sex wound. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was another line in here. Well, I just don't, don't really know what to add to that. It is true that it's Iris, isn't it? Who's yes. them, not Molly. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I was expecting there to be lots of gratuitous nudity in this movie. And there is a bit, but it's not from the principals. Like at, at one point, Peter Falk just has a girl in his motel room. Well, it's the mud wrestling. Yeah, we do get to that. But in a way, the mud wrestling, for reasons we'll get to, doesn't count. Um, but I was expecting it, especially being an Aldrich movie, to ogle the uh, the, the leads. No. And, 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 but it which is a great relief that it doesn't, although it does, it immediately gets back to standard ogling procedure when uh, P Peter Falk has a girl in his in motel room. She has to get her tits out, you know, in a completely sort of like uh, obligatory way, But it, which isn't great. But it, what is great is that that um, methodology isn't applied to the, the principles. So that no. was, I thought that was good. I thought, and I think... Maybe Again, this comes down to the, the the unlikelihood of finding these two leads that would be willing to do this, and but as you say, they, so they, well. they are they are willing to get somewhat naked in a mud wrestling scene later on. But the reason I said that doesn't count is because they're sort of so covered with mud that you you they're sort of censored. <laughs> and the film is highlighting that this is just pure humiliating sleaze anyway. So they are not pleased when it turns <laughs> out they're going to be mud wrestling, okay. and that's that's sort of a running theme in this film is that they. They do. They really feel that Peter Falk, as their manager, isn't doing them justice, and he's not. But, uh, but this is where Iris is slightly a confusing character because she is absolutely livid that she has to do that for something like four hundred dollars for the night. But she's fine with sleeping with Burt Young for ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that was uh, the, the sleeping with Burt Young thing was was weird. It, uh, that was strange. But stranger yet, I would have said, was um. There's a, a turning point in the film where their fortunes completely change and it's because there's a, a featured story all, all about them in a wrestling magazine with a photograph and at that point they can suddenly crack this this manager who's really reluctant to give them a shot at the big gig in Reno. Hmm. Uh, and the reason that doesn't work is because there's no explanation of why that story appeared in the wrestling magazine or how it came about, whereas that should, should have been a crucial moment in the script, I thought. It's rushed. I mean, the film... Look, they had five writers on it, and you thought Aldrich worked on the script too. Somebody <laughs> could have set that scene up, I felt. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they did, and it was cut. Well, that's, you're being very generous on that, uh, <laughs> on that level. But So what this is, is it's, it's shot not, not the fight scenes, but when they're travelling around the country, it is shot in this kind of almost documentary style, and you're seeing the underside of America... And it really gives the whole thing a certain um, authenticity and, and a weight that was unexpected. Well, you say there are five writers. There were nine directors as well. So counting directors of photography, assistant directors, and second unit, third unit. Now, fair enough, there's some big fight sequences in this. But actually, the fight sequences seem to be oh, what I wanted single to camera say anyway. Is when I, when I saw that first fight sequence, what it reminded me of because I've been knocking at Robert Aldrich a lot, is that he was a poet with a camera. If you go back to Kiss Me Deadly, you just see that this guy, and, and some of those other early films from the 50s, the camera work is amazing. 
Like he, well, he's a, he was a master of the form. He was a master of cinema. The other thing is, it's incredibly cleverly shot. Those fights because they are on a very low budget. This film, there's no way it's a, a high budget film at all. And all of those locations, I mean, you need to be having, you need to have a DVD to check this. And I have done because this is the kind of sad <laughs> yes. guy I am. Is it, I'm not surprised. But they've only got, I'd say, twenty to thirty extras. And they've spread them out in the crowd. Oh, I never... And every time the camera moves, they all change positions I, for the other angle. I am usually pretty sensitive about that kind of stuff. And I, it never seemed to me for an instant that there wasn't a packed house at all of these... And for the really big packed house sequence, um, it's shot. It's so well the shot. The Reno one. The yeah, climactic Reno one. The crowds have been shot separately. And all the action on the stage in the ring is shot quite high angle. Or very low angle. So the majority of the fighting you see, you don't see the crowd behind. This is the work of a master craftsman. Yeah. Those fight scenes are textbook examples of cinema. It's hard to believe it's a director of that age that shot that. Well, I, I like to think of it as this, that, that this is a guy who, who was a great director in the sense of a great technical director. And he's had decades to perfect his craft. And it's all there. And it's not there in a flashy way, but it's just so beautifully put together. I really think... It, this is an underrated movie in that respect. It's, it's, it's but the fights relied... I mean, it's not just him shooting it. You know, you could shoot it and it would look great, but you need really good actresses to pull it off. In the frame, and the choreography doing stuff. choreography is yeah. phenomenal. Uh, it, that last fight is incredible. I mean, tell me that you weren't by the end... Because I watched this... Rihanna was sitting in the room with me and I was watching this. And she was showing no interest at all. But when it got to that last film, she'd put her book down that and was watching fight. the fight. Yeah. And it's, that, I mean, it's the same with Rocky. It's the same with any film like that, where you suddenly see that this actually could happen. And there's a moment in that fight which... The, the fate of the California girls is sort of in the balance here. Yeah. This is their one shot at the big time. Also, it's a grudge match because the other tag team of wrestlers called the Toledo Tigers, who are an African-American uh, tag team, they've already had a run-in with them. And so they're coming up against them again. But I was pretty much, in all their fights, what you were sort of saying is you defied me not to be invested in it. I was totally invested well, in it. Well, absolutely, you are. And it's hard to work out why, because the first fight, we really don't know the characters at that stage. It kind of comes out of the blue. Well, aren't you answering your own question that we, we become invested in the characters? Yeah. And I, so... But the last fight, the other, the other thing with that last fight, which is a grudge match, but also the referee has been bribed. The referee's... Oh, that was the thing, because yeah. I was... This got such an emotional reaction out of me. It does. I was so because like, there's there's things going on like that. Not only are the the tigers fouling the California dolls, the California dolls are successfully pinning their opponents, yeah. and he's not looking. He's not doing the count. What terrible things are going on? And I was just screaming at the screen. Now that <laughs> moment where Iris comes in and flips the referee over and just starts smacking his head. <laughs> well, who, was it Peter Falk who said, just attack the referee? Yeah. Somebody at some point just, just go after Knock the referee. Knock him off his feet, I think. Is the... and, and it's wonderful. You get, you, I got really caught up in, in the yeah. moment for this. But when we're talking about how well shot these fight scenes were and how interesting and gritty the travelling around the country sequences are, you know, like the car, the road trip sort of sequences... It, they're completely opposites in terms of the cinematic approach. One's very uptight and dynamic, and the other one's very held back yeah. and sort of landscapey. But this is such an interesting film. I mean, it, it has a variety of approaches which are informed like a, by a really deep knowledge of cinema and how it works. Like those long shots of the car with the voiceovers, 
might have been the cheapest way in the world of doing those sequences. Well, it is really cheap, and I think that's part of this low budget. But thing. it was I, but pretty I it, effective. Yeah, it's serendipity. It, you could you couldn't have asked for more. You do occasionally get in the car with them and have sequences like that for a while, where they're all talking together in the car. But those two sort of polar opposites of of the long traveling shots held at a distance and the, and the the tight dynamic fight scenes, they just show a real command of cinema i think it's it does but unfortunately there are moments where aldrich uh slips back into the old ways and there's two really irritating bits in this film they're both what i call musical face slaps where faces are slapped and you get the orchestral stab oh and on that's another thing i didn't like about it twice i if the peter falk hits a woman twice i think it's iris both times and it's Never, it's not, not acceptable either <laughs> time. But although it has to be said that both times she hits him back. Yeah, in one of them, hard. <laughs> in one of them, she hit, she's hitting him back before he hits her. Like she's sort of attacking him and he eventually hits her, which is unforgivable. But nonetheless, it's better than if she hadn't been hitting him. And as you say, he hits her and he hits her really hard, but then she hits him back yeah. really hard. It's not as though this is like a, a Sean Connery Bond film where he's just hitting women for the hell of it. This is... <laughs> just as a day because out. it's a sexy thing to do yeah. yeah this i think adds to your likability of those two characters that you start to root for them even more because even their manager you know has his moments he takes shit. advantage as well i mean he he's shagging uh iris isn't he he on has the been. side he yeah has, has um, been shagging molly too no molly has her own problems she's got this drug addiction that isn't really fully investigated it's not no it's just touched upon isn't yeah. it yeah and she gets over it toward the end quite suddenly. She says, oh, I'll stop taking that now. Oh, I've, I've gone through my notes. And I've just been remem- reminded that for that grand finale fight in Reno, they come out uh, in these fantastic costumes. And it's like something out of another movie that we've done on these podcasts called The Apple. It's like an outtake from The Apple. Nobody will understand that unless they've listened to The Apple podcast. But The Apple was like this crazy futuristic musical full of like silver jumpsuits. And it's kind of amazing, that sequence. Well, again, this is Peter Falk as their manager, who's raised money, but basically gathered their savings together. He's gone out with a couple of dodgy dice. He's gambled the money away. He's managed to successfully defend he, he, himself. Yeah, in this one instance, he hasn't gambled the money away. He, he's won big, but he's won big because he was cheating, apparently. Yeah. And they knew he was cheating. They came to beat him up and get the money back, but he managed to defend himself, even robbed them in the process. Well, well I've, really, I've always wanted to see that scene where somebody is set upon by robbers and he be- and bests them, and then robs the robbers. Yeah. And he actually does that, which yeah. is a great sequence in this. And I think Falk really carries that off as well because it's it's not an easy thing to do be, to win against Muggers because he's not he's not shown in the film to be a particularly tough guy. But he's using a baseball bat. Yeah, which <laughs> always helps, which is his weapon of choice anyway. Yeah. But then he spends all of that money on choreographing their entrance and their entire fight with the crowd. So he pays off a load of kids to sing. Um, he gets I loved all, all these that, cards actually. printed. It's yeah. brilliant. It, it really helped. I mean, you know, by this stage, we want them to be successful, but he, he gets it right. It works really well. And because Burt Young has been cast as such a grotesque up to this point, seeing him, you know, just defeated. Get his comeuppance. Yeah. Now, when they've carried on like that, I believe I'm right in saying that it's one of the Toledo Tigers who says, with those wigs, they look like virgin vampires. <laughs> or was it wings? <laughs> Uh, also, uh, another line of dialogue that I liked is, what do you expect from a day that starts with getting up in the morning? I've also written, I'm reminded that Aldrich 
is an artist with a camera. Uh, I, I love the oh I, I love the industrial bleakness of the settings, which I mentioned, the long shots, uh, and yeah, with the dialogue dro dropped over them. It's a it's a surprisingly lethargic film. It, it's only when you get the fights that it really kicks up a gear. Oh yeah, I've also written he's, too, he's too fond of hitting women, they, but they do hit back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but there was one really moving moment. So they're up against this the Toledo Tigers, and eventually, spoiler alert, they do win. Our, the California Dolls do win, and it's a really tough fight with a lot of fouling and a lot of grudges and a lot of nastiness. But after they've won, the Toledo Tigers manager says to them, "You know, go over and congratulate them." He actually says, 30 seconds ago." You were the champions. In three months' time, you're going to be the champions again, like a pep talk. But then he says, go over and congratulate them. And they do. And they go over and they shake hands. At I which know point, which line this is. You know, Iris says... <laughs> you're wonderful fighters. Thank you. You're wonderful wrestlers. And yeah. I was really moved because she it, obviously meant it. I just I think that's almost... I think that's the last line of dialogue, isn't it? Probably. It's a really good line to end on, too, because... I've, it speaks volumes, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, they none of them are happy with the referee anyway, even though it's working in the Toledo Tigers' favour. They, they know that he's a crap yeah. bastard. And they they, don't they want to win. win legitimately. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, a, that's, it's a great line. That. It is, because they've just had this hell of a battle, and it's just, it, it was very moving and meaningful, and, and it really felt like one professional to another. It sort of spoke of that whole world, and it was great. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a thumbs up for. All oh, it's the a big then. thumbs up for, and how unexpected that Robert Aldrich, a late career masterpiece from Robert Aldrich, uh, I can see why that, that there'd be a lot of things in this movie to object to by, by, by people, but it's certainly the least objectionable of his late movies, and it's Probably, uh, the main bad thing about it is the bloody title, which is terrible. It's a, it's <laughs> it's a forgotten gem or a, a never recognized gem. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, so, I, I think it will find its. I, all it needs is to turn up on Netflix or something and people will start loving it again. Thank you for introducing me to it. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. You're a lousy lover, you're a lousy manager. You're a lousy human being. Now that really hurts. I am not a lousy manager.